Hello, welcome to episode 8 of Naturally Nosy with Migs. It is 2021, Happy New Year. And I know that on this podcast, we talked about young love. We talked about the many different phases of a relationship. We've talked about, you know, friendships. We've talked about the realm of relationships that you have with other people. But what we haven't talked about is the most important love of all, which is the love you have with yourself. (laughs) Not to sound like an absolute cornball, but I just thought that this episode could be really exciting because my guest is um, studying neuroscience and she also is extremely well-versed in Nangje. And so I really wanted to hear her take on self-love with Tibetan Buddhism as a backdrop. So (laughs) without further ado, let's get into the first episode of the new year. All right. Do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? Absolutely. Um, Hello. Namaste. Uh, my name is Tenzing Sherpa. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I don't know. Should I, I am currently a college student and uh, I study neuroscience. I don't know if there's anything else I should add. Um, I I think I should probably also preface this by saying um, Migs is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful human oh, being. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so I am really happy to be here and to share this space. And I, more than anything, to whoever is listening or if you are taking the time of day, even to listen for five minutes, um, I encourage and I implore you to really open up your space today and to really think about um, what is what does your love look like? What does self-love look like? Uh, and, and I hope, you know, you take something out of this and you feel feel safe, I think, in our conversation and our dialogue more than anything, because um, a lot of the times, I think there is a focus on this podcast about, you know, your relationships to people, but the relationship to yourself is the scariest thing. And we never, that's why people can't meditate, because they're too scared to be with themselves. And that's okay. Um, but I encourage you to really think about that as you are sitting in and listening. You know, it's it's one of the methods of self-love is to treat your body correctly and to give it the right type of types of nutrition so um shameless plug i have a fitness page called zoo wellness z-o-u wellness and i just focus on plant-based foods x y and z uh because i'm a firm believer that taking care of your body is is one of the best ways to emulate Mm self-love but yeah because our bodies are vessels you know you need to clean your vessel (laughs) it's very true it's very true all right i guess first and foremost i just wanted to say this past year has been really wild for so many reasons and on a macro and a micro level. And personally for me, it's been such a whirlwind of emotions and trying to find myself and trying to decide who I am. And I think you really hit on something when you say like people are really afraid to be with themselves and that's why they can't meditate. Cause when you're meditating, it's like you're finally forcing yourself to cancel out all the other noise and just listen to like your body Mm -hmm. and your like soul Mm -hmm. and what if what you hear and what you feel is is not good yeah (laughs) well you know the concept of like self-love is so interwoven and it has been for so long throughout our history um it's it's something that we have had since the beginning of time like if you look at the biological background of our evolution as people when we talk about 
conceptual thinking and we talk about the creation of culture, religion, faith, spirituality, a sense of community, self, um, and emotions and emotional development. Uh, Self-love has always, always been there, but we tend to see it in different ways in the ways that it's expressed. Um, and I'll, I'll tie back to this a little bit later, but what I do want to hit on is the most common form or understanding of self-love today. It, it's the Western, it, well, it's more the industrialized conception of self-love, right? So when you think of self-love, uh, or when I think of self-love sometimes too, I think of face masks. I think of, you know, drinking tea with my friends. I think of, you know, giving myself a cake sometimes when I feel accomplished uh, or letting myself sleep. That to me is self-love because it makes me feel good. Now, what I've just mentioned is what I call the one, the one bridge way, right? So there's only you only cross one bridge and you get to the end. That's it. There's only one method to your self-love and it's to make you feel good. And that's the end of it. Now, that is a, a base and that is a framework that I think a lot of Western or industrialized ideas of self-care have built off of because we have started to develop this idea that self-love just means making you feel good and that's that's it. If we look at the way that self-love and self-care and just the concept of love have been generated on a cultural, religious, and spiritual level, we see that there is a multi-bridge pathway. So by that, I mean, let's talk about the most fundamental thing that ties us all together at the end of the day. What is it? It's Tibetan Buddhism, because, you know, we're all Buddhists, right? <laughs> so think about um, the concept of, for example, self-care, let's say meditation, right? You go into meditation because you want to center your mind. Well, okay, you center your mind and you're not stressed anymore. Cool. What are you going to do? Are you going to go get up and clear the dishes and just feel like, okay, well, I just meditated. What was the point of that? Was that to make me calm? Or are you going what are you going to are you going to take away from the meditation that you've just cleared your mind, you've cleared your vessel, you've cleared everything out that needs to be cleared out and you you've allowed yourself a new space to become a better person for others. Uh, because ultimately the an act of self-care is a radical act of compassion for the world is what I like to call it. When you do good for yourself, you do good for others. And that is what spirituality and that's what faith has always consistently shown. Self-care is radical because self-care includes community care. And if everybody, imagine if everybody partake, like if everybody decided to partake in self-care today, what would that do for our community? What would that do for your small mm -hmm. Tibetan community home? What would that do for your own family? What would it do for everybody else if you just took care of yourself? And that's, sometimes I think about, you think about monks in a monastery, like, what they do every single day is self-care because what they've done is they've released themselves of their 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 attachments and they're understanding the notion of suffering together. Um, and that is a really good example of this multi-bridge understanding of self-care is that it's a communal part. Um, and, it you know, it is really deep. Everything that I'm saying is like super deep and it's sometimes it's not even applicable <laughs> to some people. They'll probably like fall asleep and they're like, what the hell is she talking about? But no, I, no, I definitely think everything you're saying is very applicable any person ever alive. and that's yeah and see that's my that's my notion but there's no shame in just you know wanting to be you know wanting to take care of yourself and wanting to focus like you talk about things like you know if you see something every day you'll get tired of it and that's so true and I think about the irony too because when we think about meditation and our own practices Buddhists think of mantra recitations we do it so many times and we recite so many times in order to establish this idea of um 
the mala on the mantra to be representative of this pattern um, of something that comes up over and over again, because what we're trying to do is ward away negative energy and attract positivity, right? But the idea is that we Mm -hmm. take what we see every single day and we turn it into this realm of positivity and compassion and calmness. And when we meditate this way, uh, we start to dedicate merits uh, to create like, I don't know the best way to put it, but like you essentially deliver lots of compassion to all sentient beings if you're able to take what you see every single day and turn it into something worth loving and worth treating and worth nurturing. Um, And of course, there are other forms of meditation in our own practice. I mean, like, for example, visualization meditation is a very big part of our practice in uh, monasteries. Uh, They use uh, the Botsava compassion, which is Chirize, right? And uh, Chirize represents this idea of universal compassion and loving kindness. And what you do in this visualization meditation is you basically visualize Cherizeg because he literally embodies like this sense of like love and enlightenment and compassion and you channel him into your own vessel and you try your best to express that in your day-to-day by the time you're out of that meditation. When you talk about meditation, meditation is 110% self-care, but it's about knowing what kind of meditation you're getting yourself into that I think is the most important thing. But that's my small rant on it. Hurt people Uh hurt people. So you Uh always hear about how bullies uh, most often were bullied themselves there's always this like cycle of violence yeah you know and we all talk about like generational trauma and how you know your parents might have been awful to you but then if you look at their your parents childhood you'll most likely see maybe an even more traumatic situation yeah you know i agree so people who you know are actively trying to end generational trauma or people who are actively trying to choose happiness yeah, that is an extremely radical act and it's extremely difficult. I feel like it's really easy to see someone online and just assume mm. they're happy and just that you're doing something wrong because you mm. can't be happy. But choosing happiness every day, I feel like is very, very, very yeah. hard to do. I agree. In practice, really, it, it's very easy yeah. to preach about, but it's really hard deciding that you're worthy yeah. of happiness. I agree. And that is, yeah, that blows my mind how many people, me included, don't feel mm. enough. 98% yeah. of the time. And the, the, <laughs> the thing is, you know, what, uh, here's what I, I think that when we talk about like all of this stuff, it sounds very granola. It sounds like something you would hear on like, not to trash Boulder. Like I love UCU Boulder, but it sounds like, you know, when you go to a hippie dippy <laughs> school and people are like, choose love, like self care, like, uh, and you hear it consistently. Oh, no. and it just drives you nuts. Cause you start to associate like white yogis, or yoginis get into it and you're just like what is happening like i don't understand so i i don't blame you when you t- when we talk about it. like that's 99% of our suffering in this realm um is is because we don't is because we struggle to understand like what is why why can't we choose to why what does it mean to choose happiness it's so hard and I think the natural answer for anybody is to be like, well, it's because you have all these attachments to things like, okay, plan, like point blank A, like let's talk about getting going through a breakup. Um, that is so hard because you've associated your self-love and your identity and you've tied it into your relationship with someone and all of a sudden you see yourself in this person and you've separated. Well, of course it's going to be hard. That It's going to hurt like hell. Um, and then once you come out of it, you start to forget like what is self – like how do you choose happiness once you lose that part of yourself? Um and that part of yourself comes from the fact that you've attached a part of yourself to somebody. So 
it yeah i agree with you it is difficult because everything ties back to this idea of attachment um and it's hard to ask everybody in the world to be like just sit down and like write all your attachments on a list and talk about it like at that point i'm like asking (laughs) you to go literally join a monastery like that's what they do and it's hard because you have to really you have to be very devoted to wanting to better yourself in this realm and reaching this level of higher thought as a person um and to understand that like Mm -hmm. and i i am fault to this of course but like sometimes like when i like for example like homegirl like has i've been sad before because you know maybe like maybe like a dude like came (laughs) in my life and like really you know busted it up for me and i'm just like that makes me sad right whatever and then some days i will like yeah you know whatever whatever it's fine and then sometimes i'll like look back at it and i'll be like hmm and then I'll like look at my like I'll like go to my my grandma's church and I'll like look at it and I'll be like is this really what you know Buddha and en- like envisioned for me to be all sad over this like scrawny like little man <laughs> like is this really and then and then I'll be like no like I am the baddest be like I don't need this and then I feel liberated but then I go back to being sad about 20 minutes later when I'm sitting in my room and then I'm eating cereal and I'm like I'm emo whatever and that's um and that's, you know, that's natural. That's human. That's normal. You can't be, you can't ever be a hundred percent with yourself. And that's, I think that's one of the joys of being alive and living in your emotions. People try so hard to avoid it, but why avoid something that could teach you so much? Um, and I tried, I try my best to call that a radical act of self-care is sitting in my feelings and saying like, what I'm feeling is valid and it's important and it's, worthy of acknowledging and it's even better when you have Mm. people to share that with having a community having a friend to just say like I hear you and I validate that and you're just like stop like really like that's so sweet you know and I think that's that's an issue that so many of us have though because you talk Mm. about us as a community right and I it's really really hard when you fall in love at a young age or have someone that you consider a best friend that you're very connected to or when you're just deeply connected to a a single other human being yeah and when you lose access to that person I feel like then suddenly you don't know where to derive your self-worth very true very true that is so true that that's why it's like you said breakups are so hard because then you have to kind of like start over and realize wow I've poured so much love and affection and time and energy Uh, into this other uh person imagine what could have happened if I poured all of that energy I agree but see that's that's the notion of it I think sometimes we approach our relationships in a very unidirectional way because we've become so akin to our relationships being one-dimensional and we're so natural to being like me 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 I I I so everything I've given Mm -hmm. to you I've lost because that's Mm -hmm. my loss um Mm -hmm. when really I feel like it should Mm -hmm. be like this idea of like we everything I've given to you, I've given to me. So if you leave, I'll still have what I get. I'll still have what you took from me. But this sense of like fulfillment should come from within. And if your sense of fulfillment in a relationship does not come to you because of that, then there's definitely room for growth, I think. Um, And that's why I'm so, I love it when I get to hear my peers and my, my friends within even my own community who are Buddhists talk about their relationships to each other. Cause I always learn something new and I always hear something old and it makes me think, you know, <laughs> I used to be the type of person, which sounds ridiculous. That would be like, 
I'm totally fine if I get hurt or if someone does me wrong as long as I'm I yeah them wrong, yeah if that makes sense like because I was like my actions towards them are a reflection of me and my character and then what they do to me is a reflection of their character and I was very in theory very mm-hmm. much stable in that and then when something similar happened unfolded in reality I was yeah not, <laughs> like, I was not able to basically put yeah. my money where my mouth was and I immediately just spiraled I think everybody at some point has had that mindset without realizing it and it is a good mindset to have it, it is a how do I say it is a self-preservation mindset um and I think it's a smart mm-hmm. mindset personally for for the level at which we feel emotions as human beings and our state of mind and our state of existence um it is a smart thing to do because you're right like we're so used to basing our character off of our actions and so um this notion of like I will feel okay with myself if I know that I did by right is in theory yes it it works it's kind of like communism like you know how in theory it works but in real life it does not work it is a big (laughs) no-no um sidelined to you know my my point but it 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 is a theory that logically makes sense but it doesn't make sense in in action because you're right because yeah and that's okay like I I like I'm so like (laughs) I have to like, I'm like sitting here, like trying to think about how to formulate my words because I understand where you come from because I'm also sitting in this space as well right now. And I agree with you. Like it, it doesn't play out correctly because we spiral because we, what happens is then you start to think like, okay, but what if this could have happened? Okay. But what if this could have happened? Okay. But what if this, and that's one of the detriments of, of our, of our existence sometimes is that we tend to validate and to say okay but then we overthink and then we say the what ifs um it's hard to just stop right there and just say no that's that's the end of our my thinking train um of course the human mind is so wide and and yeah i mean it's true like my the, thinking train <laughs> there's just i i hear you and i validate that and and i just want to say like it is it is normal to feel those things and it is normal to feel that way now how you choose to move on and how you choose to heal from that is up to you. Um, and that's where this act of radical self-love can sometimes come into play. Like some, for example, um, for myself, like I decided to pick up embroidery and I'm doing this act of journaling with my dear friend where, um, and this is something I think people can also use as a plug. It's called SAVERS, S-A-V-E-R-S. Um, and it stands for different things. So S stands for silence, 10 minutes of silence every day. A stands for affirmations. V stands for vision boards. E stands for exercise. R stands for reading. And then S stands for scribing or doodling or journaling. And I basically list these, I list these things out every day. And what I do is I try at least in my day, like some point in my day to fill out the savers checklist and I write things down so I can actually read an excerpt of what I've submitted with my friend because I decided to do a joint journal with my friend because I was like, hold me accountable to self-care right now. Ha ha. Um, but like for my very, mm, let me think of my most, my first one, which was on, if I can find it, that would be nice. My first one was on the 29th of December and I talk about my silence and I say like today I had a few moments of silence. Um, It came to me in the form of cold wind on a run. Silence came to me while I was driving. Silence came to me when I was eating dinner. 
or when, while I am eating dinner with a glass of ice water where I get to think. And then I talk about A, and so my affirmation for that day was, I'm deserving of the food and water I put in my body, and I'm allowed to take moments of rest. And then my V, my vision board was like my Pinterest, so I was like, I'm going to be, you know, doing this Pinterest board today, whatever. E was my exercise, talking about like today I lifted, I ran. R, like I bought a new book for myself, and I'm going to start it. And then S, and I have this journaling prompt where we've set up like 10 different journals to put in. Um, where you can just journal about things. And so some of these journaling prompts were like, write a letter to a future you. What events have most shaped your life? If you could talk with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Uh, Recall a time you felt utter loss, grief, or sadness and explain the event as a narrator. Um, There's a theory known as the stretch hypothesis where they say the most growth happens when you're at the edge of a stretch and as painful or relieving as a stretch may be. In what moments of your own lifetime have you experienced growth from a painful stretch? Um, where's your focus been lately and what directions besides forward have you gone list your current attachments and the suffering and joys that come from them I wrote that one obviously Um, write a letter to someone who has hurt you when is it silent in your life what does self-love and self-love mean to you and would you date yourself or be okay with marrying yourself lol like those are some of the journaling prompts that we've decided to come up with and (laughs) we've created this as a form of like self-care because you have to sit with yourself and you have to answer these questions, you know? That's so scary. Like, when you say silence, even just hearing and thinking about that terrifies me because, which sounds ridiculous Mm. because most of the pandemic I've been alone. But this idea of sitting in silence, like, not having Mm. any distractions, no music, no YouTube, (laughs) no, you know, other forms of distraction is terrifying. And the more that we're talking right now, the more I realize it, like, I'm Mm -hmm. either constantly on the phone with a friend or I'm watching something or I'm cooking or I'm, you know, like I, I really don't know if I know what to do with myself. And and not to, not to scare anyone, (laughs) but by the end of your life, when you're sitting at, when you are at the verge of like your passing point, you got to go through the whole stages of death. According to the the book of the the Tibetan book of the dead. Yeah. Sit in silence for like, who knows how long, but that's the thing, you know, that's why our elders are so wise, (laughs) you know, and this is what I picked out about my grandmother too. My gosh, she is, she will sit there. She will just pray and pray and pray and she will be spinning her wheel and she does it in silence. And when I was younger, I never understood. I was like, why would you want to do that in silence? Like obviously make some noise, like whatever. I turn on the TV and she would just sit there and she would be like, (laughs) in Sherpa you she would be like come there or like just sit for a little bit like just silence for a little bit um and I think as I've gotten older I realized the the point of I think our elders in terms of their importance of silence is because they try to ground themselves and they are trying to allow themselves a moment of just pure thought in silence and that is the most majestic form of thought that in fact this idea of like enlightenment comes to us in silence it came to it came to the buddha when he was sitting under that tree and he was like starving himself because he had moments of silence for so long but never in his life was it truly silent until he hit enlightenment and once you're in enlightenment everything becomes so loud that it becomes almost silent is the way they say um and and it's so and you have to think about that notion of understanding like when is it silent in our lives like when have you allowed it to be silent in your life and and why do you fear that silence in such a way um at the end of the day silence is a mirror of who you are so i'm you are at the end of the day what we're like what i'm asking is like can you can you sit with yourself can you look at yourself and can you be with yourself because if you can't be with yourself then 
what what have you become what has it become have have you created a toxic relationship with yourself without even realizing because you're so afraid or are you afraid that you might let yourself down or are you afraid that you might not like yourself or are you just not sure where you are or who you are um because some of the reasons we are so afraid is because we just don't know and that's the important thing to acknowledge is that we don't know and the whole purpose of our lifetime of our existence i think especially not only as buddhists but as people is to know is to is to understand why i love them what that one mm. of your questions mm-hmm. is like would you date yourself would you marry yourself you know? because that would mean having to step yeah. outside of yourself yeah and like, be like who you am know I? would you swipe you know? on yourself like on hinge or tinder like honest like honest to god <laughs> like ultimately it comes down to i say this i say this a lot but i'm like when we think about marriages in our community and our culture and our family um they're successful because there is a fundamental understanding of community within these relationships. It doesn't matter sometimes what you, sometimes you could see the most beautiful, like Zemo Puma, like somebody like super adorable and cute with like somebody who's not as attractive, but they connect on this weird fundamental level of conversation and dialogue and culture um, because that's just kind of the set ground of what we've established as a group of people. I love that you're optimistic about it and like you make it very beautiful, but I also feel like in our mm. culture, there's also just like this huge oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. on divorce and separating. And yeah. I also wish that that wouldn't exist because some people, like, because for a lot of people, I think they would rather have, because you know how people say like, happy yeah. mom, happy kid, happy dad, happy kid, like, you know, like when, yeah. if, like it all trickles down. So if you like fall in love with this person, have this child, and then eventually realize you guys aren't compatible, I wish that there wasn't so much of like mm. this um, anger from the when that couple eventually like decides to part ways. Because like you said, for me, I'm like, well, as Buddhists, shouldn't we embrace divorce? Like if it's mm. for the right reasons and et cetera, et cetera, because aren't we this is, the people who are always talking true. about permanence? I don't think it's, a, <laughs> it's the nature of... It's not that we should accept and welcome or like say like divorce, like say like, yeah, divorce. I think it's, I think at the fundamental root of like us as Buddhists is that we accept and we acknowledge change. And if we refuse to acknowledge change and if we refuse to acknowledge growth, for example, um, you can't, uh, here's the thing, Tibetan Buddhism is so special. If you, if you study the realm, like the realms of Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism is so special because it is one of the only branches of buddhism that has such a heavy 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 focus on one culture and two this idea of karmic merit um and we've somehow intertwined the two so much so that our existence as like sherpas tibetan Shira, you know is based on our religion and because of that where it's inevitable to say things like divorce True. is going to be a big no-no and we say that you know we say like it's bad religiously too but really there is no fundamental basis to it what it is is just a cultural basis about divorce is bad because it's not good for the family but really technically in in the buddhist ideologies we embrace and we say like and i'm trying to think of uh, the, the 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 uh the quote of it but um the idea that when someone has moved on and when someone has changed, like, for example, when the Buddha, when the Buddha, like, moved forward and, and moved on from his life as this prince, um, his his father especially was very mad and was very against this. And in, in the story, so so as it goes, um, the, the prince was so stubborn that he stood outside his dad's bedroom chamber for seven days straight and was like let me go let me go let me go you're being annoying let me go let me go and eventually the king had to accept because he realized that 
despite these cultural traditions, despite this idea of having his son become a prince, there is a level of acceptance that needed to happen in order for him to grow. And I think without realizing he, the Buddha was eventually allowed to leave and he moved on and he became this enlightened spiritual being and went on and moved and, and created so many different realms of spiritual enlightenment for people um, that we, I think a lot of times we mm -hmm. fail to acknowledge like that happened because change happened because he grew. Same thing with divorce two people grow out of love they grow they change and that is natural and that's normal and when we say like that's not allowed we've hampered growth think about all the suffering that comes from all the gossip that comes with divorce like that's a lot of bad karmic intuition to be building up baby girl like you want to be cleansing your spirit by that time you know so like by the time you're hitting that last round like I, you have you want to be able to say like you've accepted and you've forgiven and you've moved forward and that's the most important thing right that's the thing that's always inspired me about yeah. um, Tibetan Buddhism and something that I've tried to find strength in. I grew up on the notion that um, just because your parents mm -hmm. or your grandparents are Buddhists, especially Tibetan Buddhists mm -hmm. specifically, doesn't make you a Buddhist. So I basically think about like religion doesn't get passed right. in the bloodstream. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's like, especially Buddhism, because in Buddhism, there's no, you know, clause, there's, there's no... Like, there's no your parents yeah. karmic good or karmic bad gets transferred onto you there, i think the best no example paths, of this you know? is uh for my fellow tibetans or young tibetans um uh the story of milarepa and his journey into enlightenment he's actually fun fact he is considered one of the most revered like enlightened sentient beings because he did it in one lifetime and to be enlightened in one lifetime is like extreme it's it's like it's like people stop and they're like what like you got land one lifetime like shut up like you're lying, but you know the story of Milarepa as it goes like he went through all these uh, uh, horrible horrible experiences and became a, a student of dark magic quote unquote and then he met his teacher Marpa and Marpa taught him the way through enlightenment um, because of this and so there is this idea that once Milarepa change he he wasn't buddhist to begin with he actually he was but then he turned to dark magic and so then he was technically not considered buddhist and then he turned into the most enlightened spiritual being because he chose to accept these teachings and um i think that is a that's an ode to the idea that like buddhism is not something that is just passed down it's something that you earn through lots of enduring trials and understandings and it ties it once again back to this idea of like how are you applying it in your everyday life? How are you applying it in your self-love, in your in your relationships to people, in your romantic and familial and self-relationships to others and friendships and stuff like that, um, it, ultimately? And I think the most the most common stanza, it, I think Tsongkhapa, Tsongkhapa said this, I can't remember, but there is like stanzas from the idea of like to become a Buddha means to... Uh, I'm trying to remember. It was about cyclic existence. I think I have it here. Yeah. All ordinary beings are carried by the continuum of the four powerful curtain, uh, curtains and are tied with tight bonds of actions difficult to oppose. They've entered into the iron cage of apprehending self, which is their existence, and they're completely beclouded with a thick darkness of ignorance. And they're born into cyclic existence limitlessly, and in their births they're tortured ceaselessly by the three sufferings, thinking thus on the condition of mothers who have come to such a state, generate the supreme altruistic intention to become enlightened. Um, and I know that was a mouthful, but essentially what is being said here is the idea that we have entered into this cage of just like consistent suffering 
And sometimes we get so lost in it that we forget. And then we just kind of become so superficial to our relationships and we just kind of say, eh. And you allow your, and then we allow ourselves to feel so many things in this relationship. Like, I can't tell you how many times when I was growing up, like, I was probably, like, super emo over this, like, white kid. Like, why of all things did I have to be emo over, like, this white boy that I grew up? Like, what? Like, there was no reason <laughs> for it. But the reason I was is because I was so apprehensive to my own self-suffering. And no, I forget, you know? And that's okay. I think we do forget. But, yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of, it's hard to, it's hard to, like, be Tibetan Buddhist when sometimes we don't even know like what is the root of our Buddhism and how do we apply it in our day-to-day lives especially as young um, up-and-coming Tibetan Buddhists uh, even so so much so it's hard you know and I don't blame anybody and like you said so much of our Buddhism stems from our community or our community and a lot of us growing up um, in the the diaspora yeah oftentimes don't grow up with that sense of community and so it's really hard to kind of have to yeah hold yourself accountable at such a young age to want it because you know you know bless our elders like they try <laughs> but it's really hard to make tibetan buddhism it's only cool it's only sexy, sexy if, and, like if you know the white boy that in like, your yoga <laughs> class is like i'm buddhist and you're like oh me too you know yeah i get it <laughs> i have tibetan friends here uh, back home who go to you know sunday school and and they know their verses they know how to pray and and it's not easy to understand like how what are you supposed to understand from like you know like what does all of that really mean at the end of the day um so yeah it's, <laughs> it's hard and i have to attribute like especially being in in the realm that we are in social media and things like that like we have one of the best ways i would say to be an active tibetan buddhist is to evaluate your love and your self-love and your love to others and your relationships if you are in one think about them and think about what does this mean in terms of like your 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 spirituality or your faith even sometimes um and i promise like in moments of this type of introspection you will find that you're so much closer to your to you're so much closer to the to the sangha than you realize if you do this introspection reflect on your relationships with people and yourself you'll find that there is so much love and compassion it's it's absolutely endless um and the realm of opening that up like imagine what what good that could bring to you and what what kind of a wonderful karmic intuition that could bring into your life um i hope i don't sound too granola like i know sometimes i sound like i sound like an old elderly sometimes and then i'm like i'm really just 20 years old and i'm just trying to live my life but um self-love is in our culture it's in our faith it's in our spirituality and the only way to access it truly is to really allow yourself to reflect in that way. I love that you said that self-love is you mm. know, pretty much an intrinsic part of being a Tibetan Buddhist. Because growing up, that's not how it felt. And I think growing up, you're taught, or I was taught, and a lot of my friends seem to have been taught that um, being mm-hmm. a Tibetan Buddhist is much more about um, being selfless, sacrifice, and especially as people living in the diaspora and knowing about all the privileges that we have Mm. it was you Mm. know very easy to feel kind of like there was like a weight on your shoulders and you know it was heroic Mm -hmm. even to put your needs aside for other Mm -hmm. people's Mm -hmm. that's why so many Mm -hmm. of us Mm -hmm. young people girls end up being people pleasers Mm -hmm. and Mm. so desperate for like outside validation me included (laughs) and so you know we're constantly searching for people to tell us (gasps) that we're good girls 
even though we complain about the aunties, you know damn well if an auntie says something good about you, like, you're on cloud nine. You're like, that's me. (laughs) Like, or an auntie and uncle tells you that you're being a good pibba or like, oh, your pig is so great. Or like any, you know, any small fraction of a compliment, it makes you feel so good. And acknowledging that that makes you feel so good also makes you acknowledge that when they say anything negative, it's as much as you don't, as much as you want to brush it off and pretend that it doesn't affect you, it really does. And so it's really, and so I think that's why it's hard for a lot of us to kind of grow out of that. The experience of not being in your home country is, is, is painful. It is like, it's okay to call it. I, I think we have a hard time saying this. It's okay to call things traumatizing. It's okay to say like, what, lots of young Tibetan people are going through right now is a sense of this identity mishap sometimes because you're not you're not you're right you're not in your home country and I share a lot and I you know I'm not I I'm Sherpa so I have had the opportunity to go back to my village and to sit and to be in that community um so for me to try to sit and to relate is is kind of useless because I don't have that experience but what I can say is I I validate and I share and I understand where like everything that you said and it's important that we acknowledge that and I acknowledge that as well. Um, and what I also want to say is like the idea of being a people pleaser, especially the woman. I mean, I, I think that's also natural selection as well. I mean, like we, are, it's normal to, for women to be people pleasers. Like, a, yeah, and men, men are too <laughs> as well. Um, but when you find validation in, in an elderly person telling you that you're being, you're, you know, you're, 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 your picture is so good like you you are you're such a well-rounded uh tibetan girl or person um it, there's this sense of like like you feel like you've done something right um and and you, it feels like you're connected i feel like in some way um to something that you've never felt before in terms of like being in that home country because you we find a lot of validation in our elders and again i'm gonna reiterate this um where we place our validation as people is so is so it's so intertwined in in our familial relationships and it's hard not to take things personally um and i you know i'm an emotional person i think i take things super personally um but i have to also remind myself that in the eye like this is in the christian faith right but in the eyes of god like you are created perfectly um in the eyes of our own existence as buddhists we are created we are created to not be perfect. We're created to make mistakes. We're created to feel suffering. Um, out of the 9,999 9, bodhisattvas that exist in this realm, our one, our one um, bodhisattva has given to us in this realm the ability to feel pain, to suffer, because he felt that it was, it was right and it was the best way to teach all sentient beings how to be the best person how to be their best self is to through suffering and so when i'm in these modes of like self-deprecation and i think like i could have done better i i feel this way because this elder has told me this i have to remind myself that this type of suffering this type of attachment that i've created to this validation is is merely just a guise for me to really understand like what where why do i place so much validation on this how does this affect me how do I think on this kind of pain right um so again I I will say that with with a grain of salt it is a lot like everything I say like I sound so majestic and shit but like it's so hard to be like okay Tenzing like what the hell am I supposed to do with that information great like don't think about it like what you know it comes to us in our own practice um and in time but I think that's the most important thing at the end of the day but yeah yeah 
So, yeah, again, thank you so much to you. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you have a very thank you. Um, self-loving <laughs> ah, rest that's of... That's so sweet. That's, like, that's um, the nicest thing anyone's existence, ever said to me. Your life. Okay, well, I will, I will, I will probably text you after this. Bye-bye. Sinjanango, I'll see y'all later. Go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs>